when, when we have these unresolved conflicts, and we, we try and pretend like everything's okay. I mean, this happens in families, it happens in churches, it happens in marriages, where we, something happens and we try and sweep it under the rug, we try and pretend like everything's okay, we try and, you know, just, just grin and bear it and it's gonna be okay, but then something small happens, something small that should not incur a, a large reaction, but it does, and because all the little things have built up and we haven't really gotten over it. And when we have these kinds of problems in our churches, in our marriages, in our families, it's impossible, really, for us to work together the way that we should. And these things, they happen insidiously. They come in slowly and they, they work their way in. And we need to be aware of their danger and take them very seriously. That when we have conflict with our brother, when we have problems and frustrations, we need to seek and pursue genuine reconciliation and peace. So this is a big problem. But luckily, God has given us an entire book of the New Testament, specifically uh, dedicated to this idea of making peace between brethren. And lucky for you, it's only one chapter long. Open the book of Philemon. We're going to be reading and studying this book this morning to look at the way that Paul makes peace between Philemon and Onesimus. And we'll see that there's, there's really three parties in this. And at some point in the church, in your family, you're going to be all three of these people in different areas. We've got one person, he's the one that did the wrong. And uh, people are mad at him for a legitimate reason. We've got another person, this is the person that's upset, the person who has been wronged. And then we have a third person. That third person in this case is Paul. And Paul is neither the person wronged or the person who did the wronging. But Paul is the person that steps in to make peace between brothers. And in kind of in our, our American propriety, sometimes we might say, oh, you know what? Why doesn't Paul just you know, mind his own business? We'll let, this doesn't involve him. Just like let them settle the conflict. But we're a body. We're a church. Okay? So when one brother has a problem with another brother, it's not just something for the two of them to work out. This has to do with our whole body. The whole body suffers when we can't work together. And so Paul does what we will uh, see later on, that, that Jesus and, and, and Barnabas and many other people throughout the Bible have done, and they step in and they make peace between brothers. And that is what we're going to be studying this morning. So, with that introduction, let's read the book of Philemon. As I said, it's only one chapter long. And then we are going to make three points about how we can be peacemakers, how we can bring genuine reconciliation in our relationships in a church. So, this is Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ, 
For I have derived much joy and encouragement from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, for love's sake, I prefer to encourage you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I encourage you to, uh, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that the goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, here's the situation. Paul is, has met Onesimus. And the, the situation between Onesimus and Philemon is this. Something has gone on between them. And we're not entirely sure what it is. Maybe Onesimus stole something from Philemon and then ran off. Or perhaps Onesimus did something wrong to Philemon and Philemon sent him away. He said, you know, get out of my house. I never want to see you again. And then through either Providence or Philemon's intentional choice, um, or uh, Onesimus's intentional choice, Onesimus ends up meeting Paul when Paul is in prison. And so Onesimus and Paul, they form a friendship, a relationship, and during Paul's imprisonment, Onesimus is converted. Formerly he was not a Christian, and now he becomes a Christian. And then Paul sends Philemon, or sends Onesimus back to Philemon, with two letters in his hand, one of them being the book of Philemon and the other one being the book of Colossians because Philemon is uh, one of the leaders in the church of of Colossae. And so we have Philemon showing up, we've got these two letters. And why that's important is because uh, Onesimus and Philemon are now a part of the same church they're going to be worshiping together, working together, and you know, ultimately, in, in the larger scale, they're, they're brothers. And Paul says, if you look in, in the book of Colossians, it's all about, in many ways, this, uh, this connection that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and there's, especially chapter three, the, the love and the fellowship and the the, the breaking down of, of barriers, 
that this is, this is a huge part of the gospel, that we are all coming to God on, on an equal plane and that we need to be able to work together with love and forgiveness. It's vital for a church to work. And so this is a test case. This is rubber hits the road for this church because if Philemon and Onesimus can't figure this out, if the gospel cannot truly reconcile them, then all the stuff that Paul has been saying is just, you know, abstract stuff and it doesn't have real practicality. And so Paul, this is a, this is a big thing for Paul. It's a big thing for all of them because as we said, unresolved conflict is a major problem in churches. And so we have this situation where Paul says, I need to make peace between these brothers for this church to thrive the way that it should. And so Paul does three things in this letter to help make peace between Philemon and Onesimus. So the first thing is that Paul appeals to the character of Philemon. This especially is done in, the first, or in verses four through seven, where he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you're showing toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul says, Philemon, this is the kind of person you are. You're a great guy. You're a heart refresher. You've got, you're full of love. You're full of faith, full of, of, of good things. And at first, this might seem maybe just like Paul's kind of buttering up Philemon. But what's super cool about this is this actually becomes the groundwork for the uh, appeal that Paul is going to make to Philemon. For example, let's take in verse 7. He says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So he says, Philemon, you're a heart refresher. Okay, you encourage the brothers, you, you build them up, you give them the energy they need. That's who you are. You're a heart refresher. And so he says, so Philemon, I'm going to send you my child who I've begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus. And I am sending you, verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And so, verse 20, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He says, Philemon, you're a heart refresher. I am sending you my heart, Onesimus. Refresh my heart. Do what you always do. Be a heart refresher. Be according to the person that you are. Similarly, in, this first, in these uh, first few verses, we'll see uh, that Paul is praying uh, for the effective knowledge of good things for the sake of Christ. That he is praying that the, 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 the good of this Christian fellowship can be manifested in the life of Philemon. And he says in verse 14 that he preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be of compulsion, but of your own accord. So Paul says, I'm praying that good things can happen in your life, that you can do good. And here's an opportunity, Philemon, for you to do good, not of compulsion, but of your own will. Finally, in this, we see Paul says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love in verse seven. This uh, word for comfort here is the noun form 
of the Greek verb that is used in verse 9. So effectively, if we're going to translate it in a way that made this uh, clearer, we might say, uh, I have derived much joy and encouragement from your love, that therefore, for love's sake, I will encourage you. So it's a, it's a cool little twist that Paul does. He says, you've encouraged me with your love, so because of my love, let me encourage you. Instead of you know, demanding you, blasting you with my apostolic authority, I'm going to encourage you because of love. And so Paul, he appeals to Philemon based on who Philemon is. And he acts according to Philemon based on the character of Philemon. And all of this gives Paul great confidence in verse 21. He is confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing you will do even more than I say. Paul says, listen, Philemon, we got a problem and I need you to solve it. However, you're a good guy. And I know that you are going to act according to the way that you always act, because that's who you are. And so in our own congregations, there might be times where there is conflict between brothers, where people get frustrated, where people feel disrespected, where there are problems that need to be solved. And in those times, if we're trying to make peace between brothers, then we can do like Paul does in this situation. And we can say, hey, you know, I've seen the way that you are so gentle and patient with the little kids that are running around. And it's just, it's so heartwarming to see. And so we got this situation, okay, where we need you to show that same gentleness and patience to your brother who has wronged you. And I know that's going to be hard, but I know that's who you are. You're gentle and patient. I've seen it. So please be according to your nature here in this time as well. Or maybe another Example, okay, I've seen the way that when, when I look over at you, when we're singing songs in church, I, you, have, you got so much zeal, so much joy in your face. I can tell worship is so important to you that you want to be a part of, of worshiping God with all of your heart. And so if the Lord's Supper is also a part of our worship, and it's a part of our worship where we remember that we are eating of the same body, that we are together one body, where, then how can you still have these walls up? You take worship very seriously, so take the Lord's Supper seriously. We are one body. Be reconciled to your brother. And this could, again, we could do this in, in many, many ways. But this appeal, this is who you are, so be that way in this situation as well, is a powerful way to appeal to our brother to do the things that they ought to do. Now, of course, in the case of Philemon, this is pretty easy, because as you've seen Philemon, he's a great guy. But ultimately... Our job as, as Christians, and especially Christians, uh, if any of you are, are teachers or elders or, or deacons or parents, part of your job is looking out to the other people uh, that you have, uh, you have uh, authority over, that you are shepherding in some sense, whether it's you know, formal shepherding or you know, shepherding your kids, shepherding the, the kids in your class, to look for the things that they do well. The, the, the talents that they have. We talked, I think, last week about Romans chapter 12 and how God has given us all different gifts. Some of us uh, have uh, service. Some of us have teaching and exhortation. And everybody has some kind of gift. And so if you can be looking out for those kinds of things, then you will be able to see the ways that you can encourage your brother to be according to who they are, to who God has called them to be. And even 
young uh, novice Christians have these aspects of them where they're serving God. And when you can find that and you can say, this is who you are, continue to be this way in this situation. We have a powerful claim to help push them to be what God wants them to be. And so the first thing that Paul does as he's making peace between Philemon and Onesimus is he appeals to the character of Philemon. But the second thing, and this is maybe like the coolest part of this letter, is that Paul appeals to partnership or fellowship or uh, sharing. The Greek word here is koinonia. Uh, so this, I, the idea behind this is that we are all one in Christ. And there are many passages in you know, Colossians we talked about earlier, uh, Ephesians that talk about how we all have equal access to God through the Spirit. We are all one in Christ. We are the body of Christ united. There's a passage here in Colossians chapter 3. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That in Jesus, in this body of Christ, we are all one. And the way that you treat one brother is the way you should treat another. And so Paul does this amazing switcheroo here in verse 17. He says, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So Paul says, we have fellowship together. We all come to God through the same channels. And so if that's true, then the kindness that you show me should be the same kindness that you show Onesimus. And this is not the first of the switcheroos that Paul makes in this letter. It's pretty cool. He says in verse 13, I would have been glad uh, to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So he says, listen, Onesimus represents you, Philemon, because Onesimus is your slave. And so when Onesimus was helping me, it was as if you were helping me because you guys have this connection in terms of a family uh, slave-master relation. But we have a brother relationship as well. And so he says in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So when Onesimus comes to you, uh, it, was, it is as if I am coming to you because we have this fellowship. And then in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So Paul says, I treated Onesimus as if he were you. So treat Onesimus as if he is me and treat me as if I am Onesimus. And the, what is going on here is what we've been saying all along, that when we are one in Christ, that the same love, the same kindness that we show one brother is the kind of love that we could show, that we should be showing another. And the power behind this is that it kind of amplifies this first aspect, the appeal to character. Because when we can see, even in their relationship to one person, the kind of love and forgiveness and, uh, and desire for a strong relationship, that, that we need in all of our relationships. If we can see that in one relationship, then because of this fellowship, because of our brotherhood, we can say, look, that's the kind of thing that you are capable of and that we know we need to see that in other areas as well. And I think that's powerful because I think we all understand, uh, even if it's not like a diatrophies situation, that there are certain people in our, in our church that we get along with 
better than other people. Uh, I know, I am confident that uh, my wife has already surpassed the 490 times that uh, God, or that Jesus tells us to uh, forgive me. Because, you know, marriage, that's, that's the bedrock of marriage, is, is learning to forgive each other and learning to live in connection with one another. So Leah's really good at forgiving me because she has a lot of experience doing it. And uh, <laughs> in the same way, um, we, we understand that there are people that we have a connection with people that it's easy to forgive, people who it's easy to extend grace to, and people that's a little bit harder to do. And so it's important for us to recognize that if that's the case, that we need to appeal to partnership, that this same brotherhood that we have with our best friend in the church is also the same brotherhood that we have with people that are a little bit harder to get along with, people that get on our nerves sometimes. And it is important then in these cases to appeal to that brotherhood to say, hey, if you can treat them like this, you can treat this other person like this. And so it is a call to be more of a brother, to have that connection, to lean on that connection. And if we do that, it's going to help us to find that reconciliation and peace that we need in our churches. That's amazing. But the third thing, Paul does three things. He appeals to character, he appeals to partnership. The last thing is that Paul appeals, or doesn't exactly appeal, but he steps in and pays for Onesimus. This is in verse 18, which we already read. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So Paul steps in. He cancels Onesimus's debt. And I think when we have problems like this, I think the, the main reason that we are hesitant to step in to make peace between brothers is because we're worried we're going to get dirty. Uh, that we're going to say, hey, you know, Bob, I, I, need, I, I know Greg did you wrong. I'm not trying to say he didn't. But I really think that you need to be reconciled to Greg. And they're going to say, ah, Greg, I can't stand that guy. And you're taking his side. I can't believe you. And that there, that all that muck and, and grime that is uh, covering his relationship with Greg is now going to be thrown on to you. And that when we step in and we try and make peace, that we're going to have to, uh, in effect, like do the, the social equivalent of co-signing. You know, we're going to put up our trust as collateral to help in this relationship. And Paul, if, if we were to say, Paul, I'm nervous that's going to happen. Paul would say, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's kind of the point. That... When we have these difficulties, sometimes we're going to have to put up our trust. We're going to have to step in, and it might cost us our time, our money in Paul's situation. But it is, it is important enough that Paul says that is the kind of thing I'm willing to do in this situation because peace in this congregation is vital. And this might look like uh, a variety of things. Uh, we might imagine this would be, hey, you know, I, I know this, this guy, he, he, he did the song leading and, and maybe he didn't do it so well, but I, I'm confident, uh, you know, I'm going to work with him. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to, you know, teach him how to do, do it right. And if you give him a second chance, I, I know he, that he, he's got this, that we, we stick our neck out for somebody. Or uh, perhaps 
Uh, it might be with a class. Hey, you know, I know that when they tried to teach this class last time, it, things, things did not go well, but I, I've been working with them. They, it's going to be better. Or, you know, somebody who's, they've been out in the world and they, they really, they burned some bridges in the church and it was, it was not good, but they're coming, they, they come back, they want to be a part of God's people and there's hesitancy around that to, to accept them back with open arms. But when you have people that step in and they say, no, you can trust them. They've made a change. I, 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 will, I will vouch for them. This is, this, is vow, this is powerful and is vital for making peace in our church. And Paul, this isn't something that he you know, abstractly thought of. This is something that he has seen played out many, many times. First, in the life of Jesus. Jesus, you know, he didn't have to come to earth and get dirty and, and be a man and, and be, uh, to, to come into this world, but he did. He chose to come. He chose to die for our sins. Jesus is the ultimate example of canceling someone's debt, entering into a situation that he didn't have to get into, but he did because he loved us and because he thought it was important enough. In addition to Jesus, we see this happen with Barnabas. Barnabas does this twice, once for Paul. When Barnabas vouches for Paul in the church in Jerusalem, he says, no, I know he used to be a persecutor and a violent aggressor, but he's changed. You can trust him. I will vouch for him. Barnabas stands up for him. It's awesome. The second time Barnabas does this is for John Mark, that, par, that Paul is mad at John Mark because John Mark deserted them. And it's like, yeah, no, well, that's a good reason to be mad at somebody. But Barnabas says, no, I'm, I'll vouch for him. He, he can do this. I, I'm, I'm going to stand with John Mark. He's got this. And so Barnabas, he sticks his neck out for John Mark because he believed in him and he does what is necessary to give this guy a second chance. And I think that is so powerful and so vital. And again, it's something that we can do. And yes, it is going to be costly. It costs Paul money. It might cost us trust if things go sideways. It might cost us time and effort to work with them and talk with them and make sure that we're not just foolishly sticking our neck out for something that is, is not true. But in all of these situations, what we can see is that when we do this when we go out on a limb for somebody that we are able to bring reconciliation to, to salve wounds that could not otherwise be uh, fixed. That Paul, he saw in this situation that this, this whatever uh, debt that Onesimus owed Philemon, that it was going to be a hindrance to them getting to the reconciliation that was so important. And so he said, listen, money it's not important enough for there to be a hindrance here. Let me do what I can to solve this problem. And so as we are concluding here this morning, what we have seen is that Paul, he saw there was a problem, that there was going to be a problem between Onesimus and Philemon, that Onesimus had legitimately wronged Philemon. And yet there needed to be peace. There needed to be reconciliation in order for their church to function the way that God wanted them to do. And so Paul, a third party, stepped in to make peace, to bring genuine reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus so that the church could be what it ought to be. And so for us today, it is vital that if we have problems, whether you are Paul or Onesimus or Philemon, that if we have problems in our church, we can't just sweep them under the rug. We can't just say, ah, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, and then keep festering over it and let it be a big deal. We need to talk through these things, work through them and find peace. Because us just 
pretending that everything is fine is not going to be effective. It is going to rot the pillars that hold our church up, and we need to be reconciled. We need to work on these things if we have these kinds of problems and lack of trust and uh, reconciliation in our congregation. And what I love about this is that Paul, he doesn't say, hey, you know what, just, just let bygones be bygones. Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. No, he, he steps in, he says, no, like, he wronged you. There's a problem, but we can solve this. We can work through this. This might be a, a situation that, that needs, this is a situation that needs addressing. But we need to work through this because it's important for our church, and it is what we are called to as Christians. And so as we uh, conclude, no, really conclude, uh, I want you to imagine two, two kinds of churches. The first kind of church is a church that doesn't do this, a church that they take the easy way out, they pretend everything's fine, and they just you know whitewash all the cracks. And when we have this it's a dysfunctional church. It's a church that has not truly learned the value of forgiveness and reconciliation that Jesus has modeled for us. And that's, it's not going to work. It's going to fall apart. There are going to be splits. There are going to be problems. We do not want to be that kind of church. But there's another kind of church, a, a powerful kind of church that they have, they've, they've read the story of Jesus. They've lived in their lives. They've read the story of, of the man who was forgiven you know, a, a bazillion talents, and now he is, he's forgiven his brother. They've read the story of Philemon, and they, it's important to them. Reconciliation is vital to them. And they have examples in their congregation where major problems have happened, where there have been uh, you know, slights and uh, disrespects and you know, money stolen. Or it doesn't matter. Huge problems. And yet they haven't let that get in the way of their fellowship. And to the world, that is unbelievable because forgiveness is not something that comes easily to us. And so when we see real forgiveness, real reconciliation, it is mind-blowing and it is, a, it is a clear sign that something beyond our human power is at work. Something divine is at hand. And that is exactly what is happening when we have real forgiveness. And so if we have a church here that believes in the power of true reconciliation and forgiveness and peace, it will be a beacon to the world of the power of the gospel at work in us and among us. And it will make us stronger. It will make us more like Christ. It will be incredible for us. And so we have a choice this morning. What kind of church do we want to be? And more specifically, what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a person that helps our congregation be a light to the world? Or do you want to be a person that lets cracks form in our church and lets problems fester until there's not much we can do? This is a choice we have. And I would say we need to be like Paul, like Philemon, like Onesimus. I believe there was genuine reconciliation here. I don't think we would have this book if there weren't. And so we need to be the kind of people that find peace in our, in our churches and pursue it. Thank you so much for your time. We'll now be dismissed to class.